Hey everybody, and welcome back to In the Guiding of Geekdom. I'm Janice Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And this is a show where we watch an episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and a different piece of media along with it and talk about them. What did we watch since the last time that we talked? We watched the second episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and Akira. That's exactly it. And what did we pay attention to? What was the homework? The homework was to pay attention to hand-drawn animation and perspective and more wind and water things. Yeah, an abundance of wind and water in both of these. Truly. So Janice, in the second episode of the show, we see a film club being created. We do. Our little babies are starting their own little club. Um, Yeah, they sneak into school. Well, not sneak into school. (laughs) I guess maybe they do. So the girls go to school on the weekend, and they decide to ask for permission to start their club, but they can't call it an anime club, because if it's an anime club, Mizusaki can't join. And they already have one. And they already have one, which is a problem. Uh, They talk to the teacher, Mr. Yokota, and he points out also that they already have one. He says that they need a featured film club, so they agree. They're like, and Kanamori's justification is anime is film too right it can be feature length yeah they just like this movie we're about to talk about later mm-hmm. uh, at the same time while they're in there a teacher mr fujimoto offers to be their club advisor and they go check out their new clubhouse a rundown shack <laughs> <laughs> it's a very big shack though a very big very holy place they go there and immediately Mizusaki and Asakusa start daydreaming and Asakusa falls off the railing and somehow doesn't get injured. <laughs> and then at the end, that footage gets put on TV. Whoops. <laughs> what did you think of the episode? I think this is a very fun show. <laughs> and the dynamic of the three main characters works really well because they each have like a specific purpose that allows everything to work in tandem. And you see that when, one, they find everything that's in that shed, because you can see (laughs) Kanamori is just like, okay, whatever, nerds, you you do your thing. Mm -hmm. And I think they just sort of perfectly encapsulated all three characters in this, because you have that moment in like the warehouse shack thing where they bring in the sofas mm-hmm. and then you see the fork go through it <laughs> yeah Mizusaki's like it's fine it only costs like three million yen yeah which I don't know what that is in relation to like US dollars but it's probably higher end furniture I think it's tens of thousands of dollars but let me hold hold on I can find out real quick fact check that Janice But just the way she reacts, like, oh, we weren't using it anyway. Like, it's fine. It's no big deal. You can ruin it. It's not a problem. And it was just in the storeroom. She mentioned that they have like a property clerk, Mm -hmm. which I've never heard of, but I assume it's just someone who does like errands for rich people and keeps track of all their belongings for them. I think so too, like an asset manager. That is a (laughs) $25,000 sofa. Definitely (laughs) high-end. Yeah. I also would panic at putting a fork into it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it, Janice. It's fine. It's fine. You also see Mizusaki kind of learning about the rest of the world through the two of them. 
Oh, because yeah. she's like, oh, that's not how things work for everyone else. When she was talking specifically about like how much money she got. Also, because his backpack. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her Christmas or New Year's money. Yeah. The next day, they meet at the clubhouse shack, and Kanamori asks what tools they'll need to start making anime. Kanamori is my favorite. I'll be openly biased. I think maybe because she's the least like me or <laughs> least relatable. I like how grounded she is in reality. And so uh, when they're talking about like, oh, we should make a thing first, she's like, what genre should we do? And they start going off into dream world and she like has her own little mental dialogue of i'll just hang back and wait to ask them about this again until i can see what they can do and then asakusa is like wait we need a desk first and is <laughs> just like oh she's pretty smart when she's level-headed yeah you felt called out by that one i think you sent me I a did. picture about how dare they she's a complete idiot when she gets ahead of herself it's specifically a thing <laughs> you would tell me so yeah i love i love these three a lot they're good kids it's really fun and they go back to mr yokota and ask for desks he gives them the key to a storeroom says anything in there you can have and they find out that this storeroom on the canal is full of animation equipment for some reason it's a gold mine really conveniently a gold mine <laughs> But we're not going to question it. No, you don't question anything in TV shows. Janice, don't you know this? Yeah. I'm suspending my disbelief. It's all fine. Yeah. Kanamori is kind of our conduit for learning about how animation works. Uh, Kanamori asks them, like, what all the stuff is. And they're like, well, this is like a feather duster. And this is uh, what backgrounds are. And these are what cells are. And this is how you make a background. They find a camera stand. And they're able to show her how to like pan backgrounds, zoom in, zoom out, do lighting and all sorts of different stuff with the equipment they have there. So they're basically giving us the fundamentals of how hand-drawn animation was made. And they also show you how they would have like a car moving in animation, which I liked. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll be watching something that's just animated in general and I'm like, why do the cars look so weird? (laughs) (laughs) Now you know why. Yeah. There is a windmill outside of the room, and they're looking at it, and they find a flip book with a drawing of it kind of spinning. There was a moment where they're flipping through the pages, and one of them was like, of course you're good at flipping through papers. (laughs) Yeah, she's good at that money counting flip. (laughs) Yeah. And they note that it looks kind of flat and unrealistic, so they decide to fix it together. And in the process, they play with the perspective of it. They play with, like, the shape of it. And then they try and figure out, like, what's stopping this from looking dynamic and real? And they're like, oh, we got to animate the wind. Kind of more, he's like, how do you animate the wind? You can't see it. And then they go on their own little imagination adventure again (laughs) and teach us how that happens by using sails and ribbons and hair and water just splashing and everything so that you can actually see the movements in the animation. The shack slash warehouse thing that they were in reminded me a little bit of this movie I watched semi recently called One Cut of the Dead, which is a movie about filming a movie. Oh, very appropriate for this. Yeah. And it's a Japanese film. And they just go to this, like, abandoned warehouse in the middle of nowhere and start filming this zombie movie. And then it goes through this whole thing of you're then looking at, like, the behind the scenes of the movie after you've watched the movie that they're filming. Mm -hmm. 
And I love processed things, Janice. So <laughs> it reminded me a lot of that, especially once they were like getting things in there and getting everything set up and like finding out how not safe it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. That's cool. I'll have to check that out if it's not scary. I'm a little baby. Well, they are shooting a zombie movie, so do with that what you will. It's removed enough. It might be fine. It might be fine. Yeah, because they show you like how they do all of the stuff eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems safe. And it's only 96 minutes. Good length. Oh, okay. I love a tight 90. I guess that's not tight. I love a loose 90. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not the best wording for that. One of the things that I really liked in this episode and I think it happens in a couple different episodes, but this one, because it was kind of about, like, they show how that camera stand works and they show how, like, you can move the scene around as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I noticed that they go to the teacher's lounge three times in this episode. Okay. And in the first time they go to the teacher's lounge, the scenery is totally flat. It's a bunch of, like, still images. They'll just have, they'll cut to all the girls standing still talking to a teacher. Then they'll cut back over to Mr. Yokota. Or they'll cut to the girls and uh, Mr. Fujimoto is walking by in the background. Mm-hmm. But it's not very dynamic. And then the second time they go in there, there's the introduction of like one pan shot as they're talking, where it kind of zooms out to the whole teacher's lounge and it takes you across the room that way. But then the third time that they go in there, before right before they go to the storeroom, it's full of a lot of really dynamic shots. Like, they slowly introduced more and more movement throughout it. And they did that with, in general, the whole episode. But in that scene, the third time they go in, Asakusa opens the door and she is looking around the room. So you, the camera is from, like, a centered kind of fisheye perspective that goes up and down and sideways, looking kind of, like, from her height at the room. And then uh, when she starts talking to Mr. Yokota, the camera starts slowly panning up so that she looks smaller and smaller as her like little rant goes on. Yeah. And then whenever uh, Kanamori starts walking over to the teacher, the camera follows her move. Mm-hmm. And I also just really liked whenever she was like reflected in his glasses, like he was so intimidated and she was so close. There's two of them. Yeah. He's like, teenagers are so scary. <laughs> I love that part when he was walking away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's true. Teenagers are terrifying. Yeah. So... I really like that they were incorporating the things that would be learned in the episode as the episode went on. That's Mm -hmm. something that I noticed they do pretty often, and I respect. But Janice, we also watched a movie. We did. We watched Akira. Just to give you a little bit of background on it, it was filmed in 1988. It was written and directed by Katsuhiro Otomo, who also wrote the manga for it. Okay. He originally wasn't gonna adapt the manga into anything, and then he got an offer to do it about two years before he finished the series, and he decided to take it as long as he got full creative control, because he didn't want them messing with his vision. He kind of regrets doing it before the manga was finished because they obviously end up diverging and converging in weird ways. They don't have the same themes necessarily all the time because he was like George R.R. R. Martining A Game of Thrones where okay, it goes different except that like at least he got to control what they did with it versus that's not what happened with Game of Thrones. Right. The film was edited by Takeshi Sayama who also did a lot of edits for animated films for Studio Ghibli, like way too many to name, and edits for a director named Satoshi Kon, 
who did Paprika, which we will watch at some point, and Tokyo Godfathers. So I think that this editor is just absolutely brilliant. We will appreciate them more later, even. The music rips. The music was done by someone named Sutomo Ohashi, but he used the pseudonym Shoji Yamashiro for some reason. I don't know why. The animation was by the studio Tokyo Movie Shinsha, uh, now TMS Entertainment, who did animation for a lot of things like Lupin the Third, Detective Conan, and I don't know if you know, but they did some of the Batman the Animated Series, especially okay. the season one opening sequence. Mm-hmm. So that's the same animation company there. I did not know that. Yeah. Some of the key animators are Makikiko Futaki, who was lead animator on Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, and Howl's Moving Castle. She is cool. Animators die pretty young because it's hard work and it has ridiculous deadlines. So she unfortunately passed pretty young. Another key animator is Yoshigi Kigami, uh, who did animation for Grave of the Fireflies and joined uh, the Kyoto Animation Studio. I don't have time to go fully into what happened at the Kyoto Animation Studio, but uh, he also died somewhat prematurely because there was a terror attack by somebody on that studio and a lot of people died, but that animation studio was very good too. So fun facts there. Super fun. Other things that make this interesting are the dialogue was recorded before the movie was fully animated so that they could sync everything up that way, like kind of backwards from how everybody else does things. Right. Yeah. Which is wild. And the first day of the opening sequence of the movie, it, you know, comes across the screen. It's July 16th, 1988. Uh-huh. That was the first re- release date for the movie. So if you saw it the day it was released, that was the day that everything went south. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> they really know how to have fun with this movie. I also <laughs> saw Janice that at the time this was like the most expensive anime movie ever. Yeah, at the time, it was the bar set for that. This is another bummer of a fun fact, but in the movie, they talk about how it's 147 days away from Tokyo hosting the 2020 Olympics, Mm -hmm. and they have to cancel everything because of what's about to go down with the Akira stuff. And in real life, they ended up canceling the 2020 Tokyo Olympics 147 days before it was supposed to happen due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely wild. So people were like, oh my god, Akira predicted this, kind of. It either has to be them or the Simpsons, apparently. (sighs) Yeah. Akira did it first. No, I don't know. So those those are all my depressing fun facts. It's great. Now we get to try to summarize this movie, which I just want to quickly say... This started, and I was like, hello, Gotham. (laughs) Because Gotham and Neo-Tokyo, same thing, same chaos that I love. It's great. But at the same time, it actually had more, like, Batman Beyond vibes, because that jumps into the future, Batman's older, and then Terry McGinnis takes over as Batman, and it's very much more, like, leaning towards cyberpunk in that instance for Gotham because there's all like these biker gangs in that too. (laughs) And I was like, Janice picked a very good movie for me. You'll be happy to know that the makers of Batman Beyond have cited Akira as an inspiration for it. I actually just rewatched The Batman uh, yesterday. You did? Yeah, and there are a lot of some, like it starts out with like fighting a clown gang. (laughs) Yeah, 
it's very similar in a lot of instances. And I was like, this feels like home. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that this movie could comfort you. A terrible, terrible home, but (laughs) home nonetheless. A terrible, horrible home. I will do my best to recap this plot in a coherent way without just saying, and then he fought this guy, and then he fought this guy, and then they fought them, but... Well, Janice, here's the thing. The government is terrible. Yeah, true. And the biker gang just gets mixed up in the completely wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) There's this, like, concept of, like, my poor little meow meow, where it's, like, a character who's evil or bad, but you, like, kind of, like, love them anyway. Not to... I, I don't defend necessarily the biker gang. They do start the movie, like, beating the crap out of another biker gang and, like, attacking random civilians and just uber-violence. But the government is still worse. <laughs> Did they get mixed up in the wrong thing? Or were that Yeah, the government, like, openly murders anyone as soon on site. Um, before I, like, go too deep into the plot, I had a question for you, and it is, have you ever heard of the term espers when referring to people with psychic powers, or is that something that I've learned from anime? I don't think that's a thing I've heard. I didn't think that that was a normal person word in the English vernacular, but I wanted to make sure before I started using it. Yeah, I saw it in your notes, and I was like, I don't think I've read this word in a Stephen King novel, so I have no idea. (laughs) The very first time I heard it was whenever I was watching this show called The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, mm-hmm. and she refers to, like, psychics as espers, and I didn't really think about it, and it's just because it's ESP, and then ers, so it's, like, pronouncing people who have ESP. Um, but that is what, canonically, people refer to the three little psychic kids in this movie as, so <laughs> before I start calling them espers, I wanted okay. to make sure that you knew that that's what I'm talking about. And the people at home, if this is their first journey into this as well, our five listeners, they'll now know. So, we open the movie and watch Tokyo be destroyed in a giant explosion, then jump 31 years later, and we're told that this is after World War III in 2019, and we're in Neo-Tokyo. There's some motorcycle gang boys that we get to know and love and hate. Uh, one of them is Kaneda. He is clearly the like leader of the group. He's got a cool motorbike. He's got a friend named Tetsuo, who's like clearly an angry, insecure, everyone-has-to-take-care-of-me friend type. But then he's also mad that everyone has to take care of him. And it's like, well, this is kind of your fault. (laughs) I hate the word incel or beta, but he has such strong, like, that energy. Mm -hmm. It becomes very important that that is what his personality is based off of. They go ride their motorcycles to fight a clown biker gang. And in the process, they just really hurt each other real bad. I am a sensitive soul. This is hard for me to watch. As soon as I started watching this, I was like, why did Janice pick this? (laughs) It's because I know it's good. You don't have to like something to know it's good, and Akira is a really good example of that for me. It's incredibly important piece of animation. It's absolutely amazing to watch. I do not like it. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I loved it. We're very different people, Janice. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. This is why, and that's why I was like, well, Deanna will like it at least. (laughs) the cops show up scare off the clown boys 
Tetsuo gets separated from the rest of them as he, like, is trying to chase down the last one and gets a good old smack on him before he runs his motorcycle in two. Let's break away for a second. Let's go to this other plot over here that's been <laughs> happening. There's, like, some psychic kids. There's, like, three psychic kids. Their names are number 26, 27, and 28. They have real names. We'll get to those if we need them. I call them Precog Girl, Escape Boy, and Flying Chair Boy. Yep. And uh, so Escape Boy has escaped from the military and is trying to get away. And we meet two characters who are important, also named Kay, she's cool, and Ryu, he's like a dad type, I don't know. Uh, And they're trying to help Escape Boy escape. The cops do some murder in front of the Escape Boy Esper, and he teleports basically to where Tetsuo is. So then Tetsuo crashes and him and escape boy, his name is Takashi, get taken away by the military while the other rest of the motorcycle gang gets arrested. This is like the first 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was a little over two hours long and I kept having to pause it for various reasons that had nothing to do with the movie at all. Mm-hmm. So it felt much longer than it actually was by the time I finished it. And I was like, there's so much happening. <laughs> yeah. There's like, a lot. It goes hard start to finish. Yes. And it's beautiful as it does it. I'll try and go a lot faster with the rest of this, but Tetsuo wakes up with Esper powers. There's a science man who's obsessed with him, a military man who wants to use him as a tool, but kill him if he becomes a threat and they reference like akira and everyone's like what's akira who's akira yeah then tetsuo escapes he tries to run away with a girl named kaori on kaneda's bike but they get attacked by some clowns from earlier really messed up kaneda saves him and tetsuo gets all angry and cell and hulks out again because he's like i don't need saving you don't have to always save me i'm tough too and then he hulks out a little too much and the army and some doctors find him again. Yeah. And at this point, he doesn't really know what's going on yet. Like, he does not understand that he has powers at this point. Yeah. He's just got wicked headaches. And visions of random stuff. And people saying, Akira. (laughs) Yeah. Which I can imagine is frustrating. (laughs) You know, it happens to every kid when they go through puberty. I don't really get what the big deal is. Who doesn't, ha- doesn't have a vision where all their guts spill out in front of everyone on the street? Good to know, Janice. You didn't? Oh, oh. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Back at the hospital, the es- one of the Esper kids, precog girl, her name is Kyoko, has a vision that Tetsuo is going to wake up Akira and the world will be destroyed. So they decide to try and stop him or mess with him. This scene is really cool. They turn into like big stuffed animal creatures and try and fight him. But meanwhile, Kaneda joins Kei and her group to try and bust Tetsuo out. Tetsuo gets out on his own. He fights the military. He fights the espers. He hurts some friends, kills one. He fights the military some more. (laughs) He pretty much just goes on a Hulk rampage, hurting everyone with no regard to anyone or anything and no regrets. Yeah. Again, just like puberty. (laughs) No? Okay. Uh, he fights He fights Kaneda, and he fights a big space weapon, chills out for a while, then Kaneda and Kaori show up, and he's finally starts to realize that maybe he can't control what's happening to him, and starts maybe having some regrets about the whole 
mass murder thing. At some point, betwixt all the fights, Tetsuo finally finds Akira because he wants to fight him. And he breaks open everything to get to him and finds out that all that's left of Akira are like slivers of cells and nerves because science hath destroyed him. And we find out that the physical Akira is basically not human, not existent anymore, and that's kind of a letdown. But Kei also says that she's theorizing that Akira is more like absolute energy and like memories and like human evolution and all these like big brained concepts that just got unleashed into this kid's body when they shouldn't have. And so it's still a vague concept, but he was a person. Yes, at some point. Turns into a giant scary Cronenberg baby. <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> the Espers and Akira join forces to stabilize Tetsuo, and then they all teleport him together to another dimension or something. Yeah. This was really like eight genres in one movie. And I went, these are all of the genres that Janice hates. <laughs> all in one. I like some things about it. I really like Kaneda. I think that he's a fun character. He's got annoying problems, but overall he's he's not the worst. K is cool. He's trying to be a good friend and also fawning over K the whole time. Yeah, which, I mean, if I was that age, I would too. So it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, she's cool. She We, like, skipped so many things about her for the sake of, like, coherence, but she gets used by the espers as, like, a conduit, and she's going to be psychic later. She's, like, important in the manga, is what people tell me. Yeah. So much happens, Janice. So much. I wrote in my own little notes about this movie, uh, quote-unquote, this is literally what happens when you give boys too much power. Yes, always. <laughs> and I'll stick to that as my synopsis. And when they decide to be crybabies and have temper tantrums. Yep. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely power, science, all that stuff. Like the military. There's war stuff going on. There's a lot of like really good themes that you could break down. And I actually want to watch it again and think about just like light and dark and how they use that and stuff like that. But I do want to say I went into this only knowing that there was a motorcycle because that's what was on the movie poster when I looked it up. <laughs> I didn't read the description. I just turned it on and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> and it was way more violent and bloody than I expected, <laughs> which is not a problem for me. It's a problem mm -hmm. for you. Not a problem for me. There are some scenes in this that are just absolutely pure nightmare fuel. <laughs> Yes. Like when the stuffed animals come in and they're just like, they look like they're glued together. <laughs> and mm -hmm. They're just not pleasant stuffed animals and they're massive. And the uh, flying chair boy just has like big evil scientist energy, even though that's not what he is. He reminds me of a villain in Marvel versus Capcom. Is it MODOK? Yeah, he reminds <laughs> me of MODOK. Thank you. <laughs> together. We did this. I got that vibe, those vibes too. I was like, oh, this is Modoc. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, so you liked it, is your role? I loved this, Janice. It's great. It's amazing. <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, I'm glad. Guess what, Deanna? Guess what time it is? Is it bit time? It's bit time. So excited. Okay, so this bit 
comes to you from our sponsor, me. And <laughs> that's nothing. Uh, <laughs> A bit inside the bit. <laughs> the bit inside the bit. Uh, this bit is called, Would This Work as a Live Action Movie? And where we discuss the benefits of animating something versus doing it in live action. Because I think sometimes things don't translate well. So Taika Waititi, who is the best, is slated to direct a live action version of this film. They were going to start sooner, but it got delayed because he got pulled in to do a Thor sequel. Which I am excited for. What's it called? Thor Love and Thunder. All right. I like... I like anything Taika touches, so I trust him, but, like, we'll see. This gives us a chance to discuss if we think it's even humanly possible to adapt Akira into something live-action that would make any sense. What do you think? Do we have the technology? See, here's the thing. Because of, like, the horror and gore elements in this, I actually don't want technology to touch it. (laughs) Uh Because I have watched a lot of horror movies, as you know, Janice, specifically Mm -hmm. Stephen King ones, but you have Mm -hmm. things like Creepshow, where they use entirely practical effects. And the only place I think they would have trouble using practical effects is the ending. Yeah. When he becomes this big, squishy, giant, mutant, baby, (laughs) disgusting thing. And obviously there you'd probably have to rely on cgi it would probably be noticeable cgi (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is one of the most infuriating things when people use cgi it's like yes we do know you're using it but we don't want it to be that obvious that you're using it (laughs) but i would love to have them do like all of the explosions and the motorcycle stunts as like practical things not blue or green screen them yeah yeah i think that if they I agree. If they kept it to mostly practical, I think that there's a lot they could accomplish. There's some stuff. It's just... It's hard. So brutally violent. Yeah, but you can you can do that with practical effects. You can do that. It's just that I don't want to see that with practical effects. I do. I don't want to see... I think that for me, it's easier to tolerate the violence when it's animated than it will be when it's... If they... I don't even know if they would go as far as to actually shoot some of what happens in a movie because i feel like that would bring the rating up to r for sure versus it would need to be it would need to be to you you can't do this as a pg-13 movie janice yeah no way (laughs) which brings all i mean like a whole host of other problems like that's what got kick-ass in other movies like brought down was that they tried to like either adjust the rating so that younger people can watch it to try and sell better or they keep it at R and then they can't sell tickets because not many people want to go see an R-rated movie based on some nerd thing. Unless that person is me. I mean, we want to do it, obviously. We would love to do that. But Janice, your eyes would be closed for half the movie. <laughs> yeah, but my eyes are closed for half the horror movies I've seen. I watched uh, Malignant recently and I did a lot of these behind like... <laughs> Behind a pillow. I did not do any of that when I watched Malignant. <laughs> of course you didn't, because you're strong and tough. I think the psychic powers, too, would be kind of hard to convey in some of the scenes, because it would be harder to show off like him breaking all the walls in a practical way, the amount of times he does it. Yeah. Also, the cool like trailing effects of the motorcycles from their gang, like... They wouldn't be able to do that. So I hope, like, they'd either have to dull it down to make it realistic, or they'd have to 
CGI it up to make it like that new Speed Racer movie that's amazing. New Speed Racer, it's like five years old, but like, have you seen the Speed Racer movie they made? Janice, you already know the answer to that. No, I have not. (laughs) There's a live action Speed Racer movie and it's not great, but it's over the top and it's beautiful and I love it. Okay, so it's like Sonic and Venom. Yeah, they're different, but yeah. Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. Cool. So you'd be like, you're looking forward to the live action for this. I'd watch it. You think they can do it? Yeah. I trust Papa Moititi. That's a weird thing to call him. (laughs) And that's the end of the bit. (laughs) So now that we know what happens in these two things, Deanna, I'd like to ask you some questions about the homework assignment. Okay. So were there times watching something in Akira where you thought about the animation things that you learned from the Isaacan episode? There's this whole thing with the, the windmill spinning and then it starts storming. Mm-hmm. in the episode and then you have in this you you have like when they're in the i guess they're in the sewer system or something uh-huh. and water just comes rushing through and they grab like the speeder bike i guess it's not really a bike but w- whatever that like flying thing yeah and just the way they went through that and like the way that the storm kind of picked up in the episode were very similar yeah that's cool Yeah, that's definitely one of those moments. There's like a lot of, I think the bike chase scene in the beginning too has a lot of movement where you Uh see like debris flying around as a reminder of like the wind exists. Mm -hmm. Or there's a scene where like a bunch of papers are swirling around in an alley and you're like, oh yeah, wind exists. Yeah. So what I have come to understand through these first two episodes, Shannis, is that (laughs) they really love wind in anime. They really love wind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wind is so important. Just wait till you get to the wind rises. When we watch that, you're going to be like, wow, they really love wind. The wind's going to rise. It's the wind will rise. Yeah. (laughs) What added visuals does the movie use to show things like wind or water or fire or smoke or whatever? Did did any of that stick out to you? Well, like you said, all the debris flying around and when the helicopters come down and everything's just kind of moving around. And oh, yeah. you have this moment to when they're inside and everything is just like crumbling towards the end. And mm-hmm. when they're outside and everything's crumbling and you just kind of see how things are falling and how the characters are trying to avoid everything. Mm-hmm. And I really love like all the motion that they did with that. Yeah, there's not a like still moment in this whole thing. I think it's really cool that way. Were there any scenes or moments other than what we've mentioned that stood out to you? I think just more with the scene in the, I get, it's not really a bedroom, <laughs> but it's like where Tetsuo is locked up and he steps on the broken glass and you have, you know, that whole oh, yeah, nightmare scene room. with the stuffed animals and everything. Mm-hmm. That was probably my favorite scene, but also the baby room was crazy creepy the baby room is scary i looked at it and i was like oh this is a horror movie yeah this is what nightmares are made of i mean they've been kids for 31 years at least too Uh oh i kind of skipped over that but yeah they are the oldest looking children you have ever seen in your life yeah i would hate their life i'm surprised they didn't nope out of that faster because what a terrible existence Yep. Super not depressing at all. So my friends and I 
And one of the reasons why I don't super like this movie, like I appreciate this movie, but I don't super like this movie. My friends and I have coined this concept. Maybe they're one of the five people listening to this episode. Um, my friends Ellie and Ren and I have coined this concept that we call boy feelings when we talk about some pieces of media. Okay, I wanted you to explain this because I saw this as a tag in your letterbox review. Yes, I'm starting to tag things as boy feelings whenever I recognize them as boy feelings. There are a lot of pieces of media that I think are truly well done and truly smart and truly like everyone did a labor of love and put a lot of skill and effort into them Mm -hmm. that just do not connect with me at all on a fundamental level. Um, And like the biggest examples of them are like things made by Satoshi Kon and things by made by Stanley Kubrick, uh, where... (laughs) Which is why I think you will like Satoshi Kon, because you like Akira, and you like, I assume, Stanley Kubrick. But um, it's like pieces of media where it's ultimately about things that boys and men are struggling with and go through Mm -hmm. that I have been lucky enough in my upbringing. (laughs) I don't know. I can't relate. I can't relate at all to it. And I have a lot of dude friends, so you'd think that, like, I would be able to empathize with the mentality, but sometimes I'm like, this is just too much boy feelings. And, like, it's that meme where it's like, men will literally blank before they go to therapy kind of thing. (laughs) It's like, men will literally destroy the entire Neo-Tokyo before they go to therapy. (laughs) yes they will and like there are good female characters in this so it's not like a knock to the female characters but nothing is about them they're cool i don't really connect with them it's mostly about these boys and their dynamic it's about the friendship between kanida and tetsuo and how like tetsuo has never felt like he's enough and whatever and he's got this like resentment at kanida for being strong and better than him and finally he's stronger and better and he just goes on a rampage about it blah 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 yeah plus like k they kind of put in the damsel in distress yeah thing a little too often and then the the girl i forget which number she was but she's literally like in a glass bubble yes yeah she's but you know what's cool about so she's literally in a glass bubble she's probably the most developed female character in this piece of media because she at least like she has a history you understand her motivations she like i don't know why k is there i don't know why she joined Ryu and his team. She doesn't answer a question about it, so it makes me think he's either her dad or her boyfriend, but he's way too old and that's gross. Um, <laughs> like, there's there's so much about Kay that I don't get. She's used as a conduit so yeah. much. Like, other people possess her to do things that, like, she doesn't have enough agency on her own for my taste. And the manga, apparently, it's totally different, my friends say, in yeah. that. But in this, I'm just like... It's just kind of a all... plot device. Yeah. It's all boy feelings. And they're well-rounded boys. It's not a bad thing. Things should be about boys sometimes. It's just that I can't relate. (laughs) And some people can. Some people are better than me and can relate to it. So that's good for them. But I wanted to see if you had any thoughts about kind of the difference between Akira as this boy feelings thing and uh, Keep Your Hands Off Azoken, where it is definitely more just like a girl group. I mean, it kind of makes it fun (laughs) because you see like the two different approaches with using the same techniques with the animation in general and with how the characters interact like you have the three kids at the end coming together 
Oh, yeah. To save one person. And they're just like, yeah, we can do it together, which is very much the vibe of the anime club, too. That's true. Yeah, it's good. I like the collaborative nature of the girl group versus the motorcycle gang tends to be like undercutting each other, which is definitely a lot of boy things. Yeah, too. that's fair. But anyway, that's what boy feelings means to me. I might bring it up again when we watch other things, depending on what happens. The last thing I want to ask you about is the quote-unquote Akira slide. I sent you a link to a gif of mm-hmm. that moment from the like motorcycle chicken fight with the clown man. What a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the best sentence. Where he slides on that bike. Yeah. Did you recognize that? Have you seen that? Notice that you've seen that other places? I probably have. And it just never registered as like a specific thing. I mean, you watch enough Fast and Furious movies. You're going to see some vehicles sliding around, motorcycles, cars. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know what it is about that slide, but people love it. It was so cool. I don't know if that's how you actually stop a motorcycle. I can imagine a lot of people crash their motorcycles trying it. I'm sure. And the thought of even looking that up horrifies (laughs) me, so I'm not going to Google it. But it is something that a lot of media, and not just like animated media, or not just like anime, but other things have done. They did it in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Okay, <laughs> that tracks. And they've done it like in Batmans. They've done it in Adventure Time. They've done it in so many things uh, all across pieces of media. But it's so much fun whenever I see it because then I'm like, ah, there it is. That's the, that's the Akira slide. Yeah, amazing. And that's been your mini toast of tardiness because we didn't need a big one. Janice, this was a lot of fun. I had fun with this. I know it's not your kind of movie. The whole time I was watching it, I was like, Janice hates this. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. Um, Yeah. It's funny because as I was watching this, because I watched it after you, I mean, I've seen it before, but I watched it after you did and I saw your rating and I was like, do I need to rethink some of the later things I'm having you watch? (laughs) Because I like them a lot. Maybe you won't like them. We can watch them. That's fine. I don't have to like everything. That's fair. I don't know, um, other than Tommy Knockers, I don't know a piece of media you don't like, so... Oh, don't get me started on a return to Salem's Lot. Okay. But these are things that I have no concept for, because I'm never going to watch them. Don't. Okay. Why would you? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. We'll see. Because at some point, we're going to get kind of like slice of lifey, and that might be a little bit too unexciting and slow. I don't know. We'll see. But that's not what we're watching next. No. I don't know if you will like the thing we're about to watch next or not, and I'm really excited to see. What are we going to do next time, Deanna? All right, so we have episode three coming up mm-hmm. of Keep Your Hands Off a Zaukin, and we have Promare. Yeah, so Promare is a studio trigger movie, and they okay. are the studio that did two of the Star Wars animated uh-huh. things, yep. so you would, you'll probably recognize that when they start because they have such a like very unique style yeah they have such a yeah. unique style That's... i know what episodes <laughs> like, they yeah. immediately came to mind uh-huh. i was like oh it's those ones so uh your homework for that episode is that we will be focusing on simple versus flashy animation Things i are think gonna you can probably flashy. assume which side <laughs> yeah it's flashy super flashy and how they do effects especially in fights yeah yeah 
So look forward to that. Everyone at home, uh, if you want to watch it ahead of time, all five of you can, and then you'll be caught up when we talk about it. And you won't regret it, probably. In the Garden of Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore guidance.